0: Good morning, it is good to be here, oh, I've missed you guys, um, that was beautiful, I just love watching family greet each other and be together and yeah, so as we come into this time of hearing God's word, do you please join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks in us, that you are a God who speaks to us, and you are a God who speaks through us. This morning, may you give us all ears that hear your message. May your Holy Spirit be present as we explore what it means to live lives together of confession. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it is good to be here. I feel like it's been a long while. I don't even remember the last time, maybe beginning of June. So two full months, Uh, because today is July 31st, I think Mark said. So um, I didn't know that, but it is. Um, I like to say I kind of have mom brain. You may have noticed I have a child with me. So huge life update in Sarah world. Um, I gave birth to an eight-year-old. So Adrian and I have been uh, getting to know each other over the last two weeks, and um, he is my foster son, and it is a joy and a blessing to have him in my life. Um, It's also quite the adventure. Um, And so his name's Adrian, and you'll see him running around after church probably, and hopefully not running around too crazy, Um, but that is the life of an eight-year-old, right? So yeah, as we get into this passage today, I do have a confession. Get it? We're talking about confession? Yeah, yeah. Um, confession is not something that comes easy to me. It is not something that I uh, really had as part of my life or language until really the last couple of years. And so as I started to kind of explore Psalm 32 it brought out some of those feelings of, man, this is really difficult, and this is really hard, and yet it has allowed for beauty to emerge in different ways in my own life. And so I want to start with a quote from Yolanda Pierce, who is a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary, and she writes this in in the African American Commentary on the Old Testament. She writes, In Psalm 32, we have words attributed to King David, a man after God's own heart. We know that this passage reflects a believer who imminently knew God, intimately knew God as Lord and friend. In this psalm, David willingly acknowledges his sin, admits his helplessness, and petitions God's mercy on his behalf. Sin is always the cause of our misery, and it is always the cause of our separation from God. I thought that was a really good introduction to this passage, because it sets us up in the context that Psalm 32 is written. It is written by King David, and if you know King David's story, you know that he has some pretty good sin in his life. King David is the one who saw Bathsheba bathing up on the roof, and says, she's going to be mine. And so he calls for her to be brought to him although he already has multiple wives he already has as many women as he would like and she is married already to Uriah he has an affair well he in all reality he rapes Bathsheba right it wasn't a two-way relationship and then Uriah comes back and in order for him to not find out King David has him killed sends him to the front lines of war So he rapes and then murders. And yet, in the midst of some really poor decisions, as we say a lot in our house these days, in the midst of some really poor decisions, God still loves David. And David is still a man after God's own heart. Because David willingly acknowledges his sin. Takes him a little bit, right? Takes until a prophet says, dude, you are the man. You are the one who did this. But once he realizes it, he acknowledges his sin, he admits his helplessness, and he asks God to be for him. So as we come to uh, this psalm today, we start with blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Blessed is a word that we often hear at the beginning of a a lot of psalms and talking about kind of the attitude or the um, response within a person. So blessed often is translated as happy. Happy is the one. So, we're happy if our sins are forgiven. We're happy if God doesn't count those sins against us, if there's no deceit in us. When you think of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed is the one. Again, happy. However, blessed can also be translated as long life or having a longer life. So, our life is longer when our sins are forgiven. Our life is longer when God is not counting those things that we do against us. You might be like, wait, how's our life longer? How does that make sense? Well, in verse 3 through 4, it kind of tells us. David goes on to say, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day, my hand, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Have you ever been in that place where you've done something or had emotions that were so heavy that you have physical, emotional, or behavioral effects because of it? That you're completely exhausted, worn out? You feel that weight of broken relationship physiologically? That's what David is talking about right here. The sin of his decisions, the sin of his life was so heavy on him that it was affecting him physically, mentally, emotionally. When we hold on to our sin, when we hold on to those ways that we turn against God, that we turn against others, that we turn against ourselves, it leads to broken relationships. That's pretty obvious, right? It leads to guilt and resentment. It leads to exhaustion, mentally and emotionally. But it also can have other effects on us. Physically, it can lead to headaches, muscle tension or pain, chest pain, fatigue, stomach upset, sleep problems. In our mood, it can lead to anxiety, restlessness, lack of motivation, feeling overwhelmed irritability, sadness or depression. Behaviorally, it can lead to overeating or undereating, angry outbursts, drug or alcohol misuse, tobacco use, social withdrawal, exercising less often or exercising excessively to the point that it's detrimental to your body. These physical, emotional, and social realities as listed by the Mayo Clinic is how Our body responds in stress. And when we are in a place of holding stress, holding sin, holding those things that we know weren't right, that we know were mistakes, that we are too ashamed to talk to others about, it is detrimental to our health, and it can lead to a shorter life, heart attacks happen when your body is so stressed out. High blood pressure happens when your body is so stressed out. Hair loss, weight loss, weight gain happens when our body is so stressed out because we are holding things in. And so this concept of a blessed long life is a result of letting go, of opening up, of not Holding in any longer. So, how do we do that? Well, we confess, obviously. All right, great sermon. Talk to you later. Now, um, confession is something we do in worship, right? In the Reformed tradition, which I come out of, we do it every Sunday. We do it like near the beginning of worship in order to make sure that we've poured out our hearts to God and opened the doors and allowed the Holy Spirit in. And I say that in that kind of tone of voice because it's words that we say. But most of the time, it's not the actual attitude that we come into a space of confession with. Rather, as King David says in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, meaning to God, and do not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. To confess to God is if all honesty, with all openness, taking all the covers off and bearing all to God, those ways that we have turned against God, turned against ourselves, and turned against others. Stan, Stan Mast of the Center for Excellence in Preaching at Calvin Seminary says, The way to the blessedness of forgiveness, says David, is to stop being deceitful, and that means breaking the silence. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my inequity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. This breaking of silence is so important. It is not enough to feel remorse secretly, to counsel with oneself, to simply turn around and try to do better. Something has happened, something terrible, something that broke relationship. Something that became part of the history between you and the other. Something that affected you deeply. For things to be restored, the silence must be broken. Only then can we experience full and free forgiveness. David goes on to say, I will, said, I will confess to the Lord and he forgave the guilt of my sin. Five years ago, I think most people know this, I made the decision to stop drinking. And prior to that, alcohol was my way of covering it up, covering everything up. I didn't have to deal with emotions, I didn't have to deal with life, I didn't have to deal with anything, because everything's great when you're drinking, right? You're good. I don't care how I affect you, I don't care how I affect others. But when you make the decision to stop, you start having to face yourself. You start having to face those things that you have said Done, not said, not done, that you've stuffed down inside. This is the reality for most addictions. It is a reality for most of us in a world where we don't talk about emotional maturity. We don't talk about accountability and transparency. And so we stuff and we cover with whatever we can. And yet, as we stuff and we cover, whether we're using and abusing or just hiding in the closet, metaphorically or literally, we are breaking down our bodies. We're allowing that effect of sin to hold on to us and break us down. And the only way to stop that cycle is to remove the covers, to break the silence, and to trust somebody else. First, to trust God, to trust that A, there is a God, B, that God has the power to relieve you from the craziness that's in your body, and C, be willing to go to that God and say, man, I have screwed up. My life is nuts. I have messed up in my marriage. I have messed up at school. I have messed up in my job. I have messed up with my family. I have messed up with myself whatever it is, but by breaking the silence with God first and starting to remove those covers that we have put on ourselves, those masks, those ways that we allow society to see us, whether they're small or big, when we break the silence and start to name to God this is who I truly am, and this is how I fall short of loving you, loving myself, and loving others, then freedom starts to happen. I love how Stan Mass says, for things to be restored, the silence must be broken. Only then can we experience full and free forgiveness. We can sit in the pew We can read our Bible, we can go to small group our entire life and never allow those covers to be removed or that mask to be set on a shelf. And in that, we are a prisoner to our own selves and to the world around us. But when we allow that silence to be broken, first with God and then with someone safe who we know will hold us accountable but will love us no matter what, When we allow that silence to be broken, we start to experience freedom, life, health, love, forgiveness in a whole new way. Stan Mass goes on to say, The honest truth is that God forgives us not because we confess our sin, but because Jesus' blood and righteousness covers that sin. The confession of sin is nothing more than a humble act of faith in God's grace in Christ. Because here's the reality. We can confess and be like, oh, I'm good. But it's not about us. It's about what God has already done through his son, Jesus. And so when we are willing to break the silence with God, we are willingly trusting that God that we've been professing, that. His love and life that he gave through his son, Jesus, is covering us, and we're freeing ourselves to accept that new covering. King David says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with a song of deliverance. That's how he ends this section of the psalm in verse 7. And I think that that's such a drastic picture, right? From my hiding place being that substance, that relationship, that activity, whatever it is that I'm sinning with, I've been hiding from myself, I've been hiding from God, I've been hiding from the world, I've been a prisoner. And yet by saying, God, I'm opening to you, I'm giving you my life, I'm accepting your grace that you've given through Jesus, my hiding place becomes one of love and freedom. My hiding place becomes one, not that I don't let you see me, but it's a place that protects me in trouble and surrounds me with deliverance and yet lets me live in a world as I am. It's a shelter in the storm and freedom from sin, from regret, from death. All right. So this is all great. We've got the concept, right? Yeah? Cool. All right. So we got the concept. Now what do we do? We understand why we would confess, but how do we confess? What does that look like? Winston Churchill, I love Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill says, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And so as you think about confession, I really do think it's all about our attitude. Confession is all about the attitude in which we come to God. So again, coming from the Reformed tradition, we confess every Sunday. And most people think, oh, I confess, cool, moving on with my week, living my everyday." If you grew up in the Catholic tradition, you might have gone to confession, in which you would have shared your sin with a priest, and they would absolve you of that sin, and then you move on in your everyday life. But the attitude there is a one and done. Get it out, move on. However, I believe that worship is just practice for our everyday life. That our time here on a Sunday morning is a time to practice and be empowered and equipped to use what we're learning and talking and growing together to then live our everyday lives in a way that frees us up to be the people who God desires for us to be. And so living an attitude of confession, an attitude that is open, that removes masks, that is more transparent than the day before, that attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference in how we act and respond. As I've grown in the last five years, I've learned that when things are hard, I have to show that they're hard. I can't be smiley and happy and fun all the time because not everything is smiley and happy and fun all the time. I'm tired. Being a mom is hard. Perks to all you who are at her moms. Like, man, this is rough. But when I let others in on that, I share that, it makes a big difference in how people respond to me. It makes a big difference in how my heart and my body responds. So attitude makes a big difference. So when we go into the life with an attitude of confession, an attitude of openness, an attitude of transparency, it will change us. A practical way to practice confession with God is through the simple acts prayer. This is something that we used to teach our junior hires, and it was this idea of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, acts. So first you start with adoration. God, you are good. I adore you. What is it about God that we adore? What is it about God that He has done that I am grateful for? Who is God? And then confession God, I adore you and you are amazing and huge and life giving, and I have failed this way today. I have screwed up in this. And I don't stay there though. I then move in. God, I know I have screwed up, I know I'm a mess. But I am so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, who died and gave me life. And in that new life, I am so thankful for Adrian. I am so thankful for my dog, Jackson. I am so thankful for church families that love and care. I am so thankful for the food on this plate. And God, as I give you thanks, I ask that you be with so-and-so. Right? So it's this idea of adoration that leads to confession, that leads to thanksgiving, and then supplication, asking God to be with and for us. That's a simple, easy way to approach confession every day. Another way to approach confession every day, and this doesn't feel as simple or as easy, it actually feels very daunting, but once you do it, it's very freeing, is if you know anything about 12-step programs, step number four is this inventory of yourself. And so it's literally looking at your life and saying, this is where I've fallen short and this is my part in it. And it affected these people or it affected these areas. And writing it down, I fell short here. There was this huge thing, and I can break it into a bunch of smaller parts. And once you've done a full one, then daily you can do them. It's also within the examine, which is a practice in the contemplative movement of at the end of every day, where have I fallen short? Where do I need God's mercy? And how can I give thanks out of that? Daily, we are called as followers of Jesus to be people who continuously rec- removing the covers, taking off the mask, and opening ourselves to God and to others. Because when we choose to stay hidden, we choose a life of pain and exhaustion, physical, mental, and emotional fatigue. But when we open up can Confessing to the Lord, we choose a life of grace, of love, of freedom, of happiness, of relationship, and of joy. I want to end with a poem by uh, Ian Thomas. It's called In Step, The Mad Donkey. Will you buck against God? Kick and fight what is right like a mad donkey. True happiness happens when you let God be in charge. So say sorry when you stuff up. Say sorry when you hurt people. You are forgiven and adored more than you know. So start over fresh each day. Rejoice in the Lord and stand tall. Amen.